you, Brother Chuck. I sometimes long, more often than not, long for that day. A day when not only talk about Jesus, read about him in his word, but I long for the day that I can sit down with him and listen to him face to face. Now, I tell you something, folks. I am glad that I am covered by grace. I really am. But I want to tell you that sometimes, as we say, God don't move the mountains, and God doesn't part the waters. And I find in those times that it is hard to trust in the Lord. I want to say, I would like to say, oh, I trust in the Lord in those times. But in this life, when he does apart the waters, he don't move the mountains. I find the way difficult. That speaks to me, and I thank you for it. Choir, beautiful job today, instrumentalist, what a beautiful job. This morning in our service, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. I'm not going to reread the scripture. We will be reading it as we go along this morning. Someone in the service this morning said there is an article in today's paper, the ledger. I don't get the ledger. I haven't read the ledger in I don't know how long. But he said on the front page there was an article about the state of Christianity in our world. John MacArthur writes about the difficulty that we find in this world in the usage of the term Christian. He quotes the late Francis Schaeffer saying that the word Christian has come to mean everything and nothing. Everything and nothing. You see, we are in a world where there are a lot of people who claim to be Christian, who say they are one thing, as the Scripture says this morning, and are not. They claim to be Christian, and yet they live lifestyles that shout, anything goes, everything's all right. We don't have to leave the lifestyle that we once lived. We can carry it with us into Christianity. We don't have to have a real change in life, in the way we think or the way we talk or the way we live life. Everything we do is all right. Now, friends, the world may be confused about what a Christian is, but the Bible is very clear. Now, let me say something, folks. The Bible is either the Word of God or it is not. I stand on the side that it's the Word of God. Now, there are those that will say, even in church, well, it contains the Word of God. No, the Bible is the Word of God. And if we say that we believe the Bible, then we cannot pick and choose what we're going to live by. You see, a Christian is one who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. It is one who has chosen to follow Jesus Christ. 
one who has had a life-changing experience, one who is totally committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of his life. And so if the Bible is the Word of God, and we say we believe that, we cannot pick and choose what we're going to live by. The Bible is what God says. One of the supreme characteristics of being a Christian is love for Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that we should love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. The Bible is saying that we love God supremely. Every fiber of our being beats Jesus Christ. Every heartbeat is Jesus Christ. Every thought is Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 23, that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Love for Jesus is the highest priority of this life. But in a world of darkness, in a world where temptation and pressure abounds, in a world where values and standards are upside down, and where there's all kind of things that pull our lives in every direction, and our lives are filled with so many things, so much that demands our time and our energy and our devotion, where it's easy to give into the lifestyles that teach everything is all right. Even the meaning of the word love is diminished and watered down. And love for Jesus takes a back seat. Now this morning we're going to look at the church at Ephesus. But I want you to know that when the Bible is writing to the church of Ephesus, Jesus is addressing the church of Scott Lake and to any church, and to all of us who make up the church. And so look at the message of this church this morning. And first of all, I want to point out that there is a church in a world of darkness. Verse 1 says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now let me say again that what God says here to the church of Ephesus is relevant to this church, to any church, of any age, and to all of us who make up the church, young and old. You see, where the church is situated, we find in Acts 19 where the church started. But we can simply say, if we want to, it was situated in Asia Minor. But let's call it like it really was. It was a world of darkness and evil. It was a world of idol worship. And many of the people in the city of Ephesus made their living by making and selling idols. They worshiped the God of Artemis. And when the Apostle Paul came and some of his companions tried to teach about Jesus, they were shouted down for two hours. And yet in this darkness, God planted a church. God planted a church in a world of darkness. Now think with me about the backdrop of this entire book of Revelation. The title itself is a transliteration of the Greek word apocalypse. 
a word that often stands for darkness and evil and strikes fear into our hearts. But then we understand that it means a revealing, an uncovering. It uncovers the darkness and evil of the world, but it also reveals the hope and victory of the world. In the first verse of the book, we find Jesus Christ. In the last verse of the book, we find Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? He is the hope of the world in a world of darkness. And you see, the world of darkness, in that world, God put a church, and they were a people that were so in love with Jesus that they gave hope to the darkness of their world. Now, in chapter 1, verse 20, the church is called the lampstands, the light, the church in a dark world. Friends, we have a purpose and a function, and that is to shine as the light of Jesus. We are the lampstand of God in a dark world. And I want to tell you, I cringe at the darkness that surrounds us today, and I hope you do as well. But just because we cringe, we don't need to give up because God put a church in the world of darkness. Now, let me point out some things that we learn about this church. First of all, there is a commander of the church. In verse 1, the Bible says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, never forget where the power for victory comes from. It is Jesus who walks in our midst. It is Jesus who is the center of life. And whether we talk about the corporate body of this church or any church or the individuals anywhere struggling in life, as long as we keep Jesus in our midst, as long as Jesus is the center of life, he wins, we win, the church wins. Jesus is the one who commanded the church in Matthew 28 to move with power upon this world of darkness, to turn the world of darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, Jesus takes the matter of church very seriously. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it as our commander. He says that we are to love the work of Christ, his church, and move at his command. We are to love him more than anything else in all of life. And as long as Jesus remains in the center of our lives, we will be powerful we will be loving, we will be driven, we will be joyful, we will be determined to press on and fulfill the Savior's work in this world. But when the love for Jesus begins to give way to other things that become more important and demand more of our time and devotion and energy, the light becomes faint. And the glow dies down, and darkness prevails. Well, there's not only a commander to the church. Secondly, there is a communicator of the church. 
Verse 1 again says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, the word angel actually means messenger. Friends, I've been called a lot of things in my life. I don't think angel is one of them. <laughs> but we need to understand here that this is the messenger to the church. It's talking about the pastor of the church. And a primary function of this messenger is to communicate to the church the message of God. The Old Testament prophets came proclaiming, Thus says the Lord. It is not what man says. It is what God says that has the highest importance in all of life. And friends, one of the highest responsibilities of any pastor is to deliver or communicate what God has to say to the church in the future. I would like to say in the near future. I do not know that. But there will be a man who stands before us as our pastor, sent from God. And I want to be honest with you. We may not like everything about him. We may not like everything that he says. But that man has the awesome responsibility to come before us with a word from God. And we have the obligation to hear the word that God says. Listen to some verses in the Bible. Ezekiel 33, 7 says, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verse 27, says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And to young Timothy, the Apostle Paul charged him with these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. You see, the pastor has the awesome responsibility to come before us with a word from God, and we have an obligation to hear that word that comes from God. Now, look back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord Jesus holds the seven stars, or the pastors, in his right hand. The right hand always represents power and might and authority. Pastors are God's right-hand man. They have been commissioned to preach. They have been commissioned to bring to us, this is what God says. That word, what God says, not what man says. And so there is a communicator to the church. And then thirdly, there is a communication to the church. These things, says he, who holds the seven stars or the pastors in his right hand. We sometimes have a wrong view of worship. You see, worship is never complete until God has spoken from his word. And sometimes we leave it out. We forget about it. I want to tell you, friends, that the message that we have is not the sermon. The message begins from the moment we begin on a Sunday morning or any other time. 
with the singing, with the prayers, and everything that goes on, including the sermon. That's the message that God wants us to hear. God has something to say. That's his message. This is the word of God. There is something that God wants to say. Now, what is it that God wants to say to us? Well, first of all, the pastor, in the communication to the church, the pastor should remind the church of the work. I want you to look in verse 2 and 3. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, those who have tested, those who say they're one thing and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and you have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. You see, the pastor, first of all, should remind the church of the work. And all of these words here, work and labor and patience, standing against evil and darkness, testing those who say they're one thing and they're not, and even perseverance, not giving up along the way. All of these are part of the work of the church. That's what we are about. It is the work of Jesus Christ. And the work of Jesus Christ is to be done. It is to be carried out above everything else. Do you realize, friends, I hope that you do, that the most important thing in this world is the church. The most important work in this church, in this world, is what God has called the church to do. Nothing. There is nothing that outweighs what Jesus has called us to do individually. We are the church. Now let me repeat. It is the work of Jesus Christ. And what is that work? It is to change this world. It is to lift the world out of its darkness. It's to bring light into a dark world. It's to turn people away from evil. This is what the Bible says in Acts 26, verse 18. God said this to what we call the Apostle Paul. He is calling to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what our work is. It's to turn people from a dark world to the light of Jesus Christ. And we do it with every fiber of our being and there is no stopping. There is no place for us to quit. We are to love Jesus Christ and his work first and foremost above everything else in life. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I've got things I've got to do. I've got this over there. I don't, it doesn't matter what excuse we give. What the Bible says, the most important thing in this life is the work of Jesus Christ. That's most important in my life, most important in your life. And when we come to agree with God's word on that, we'll be happier for it. That's the story of church, the story of this church of Ephesus. It's found in Acts 19. They were small in number. 
But as the Apostle Paul taught and he preached, he stayed there two years, and the work grew. In fact, the book of Acts says that it became a gateway to all of Asia and to these other churches that are mentioned here in the book of Revelation. It was a powerful work. The impact of Christ on their lives is found, Acts 19, verse 17 and following. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the value of the books and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. I do not know what that is today, but I know that it is a great amount. It's more than I got, and probably more than any of you have as well. A great amount, all of these books of evil and magic. And they were so in love with Jesus that they came publicly, burned those things. They burned the bridges behind them. And the Bible continues in verse 20 there, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Because the church came out of darkness. And friends, that is what commitment to Jesus Christ and his work is about. It is coming out of the world that we were in. It is giving up the friends that we had. It is changing the lifestyles that we once had and had a hold of us. Loving Jesus is more important than anything in life. And we do not and we cannot become weary and lazy or neglect God's work. Well, the pastor should remind the church of the work, but secondly, the pastor should rebuke the church in the wrong. Listen to verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Those are sad words. You see, sometimes people who were in love with Jesus let other things become more important. Sometimes the life that we had before, the practices of that life, even the friends of that life, pull people away from the Lord. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And in that same chapter, he wrote in verse 15, to live carefully. You live carefully because it's an evil time. And friends, we need to live carefully in the day that we live because it is an evil world. There is darkness around us, and that darkness pulls at us, pulls at our commitment, pulls at our love of Jesus. But they left. They left their first priority. They left their first love. And the first love was for Jesus Christ and his work. The word left means that it was not an accident. Other loves, other things become more important. And they left their love for Jesus and gave way to the pressures of the dark world they lived in. 
Sometimes, dear friends, there needs to be a rebuke stating the fact, plain and simple, you have turned away from what is most important in life. You have turned away from what is most important in life. And so we have the church in the world of darkness. Secondly, we have a challenge for the church in a world of darkness. Look in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, this is also part of the pastor's job, part of his calling, to issue a challenge based on God's work. There are two challenges here that I want to present to you this morning. The first one is remember. Most of us have two words in our vocabulary that are very vivid words. It's the words used to. Do you ever say that? I find myself saying it more every day. You know, I used to do that. We used to do this. But when it comes to church and our relationship to Christ, it may sound like this. I used to love coming to church all the time. I just loved. I used to come all the time. I used to love coming to church. I used to sing. I used to give. And on and on. The challenge is to remember, to bring it back to mind, to remember first and foremost that you have fallen away, that you've gotten away from the things that matter most in life. And you see that word fallen actually means to drop away or to be driven off course. Now earlier the word was left. And the Bible says you left your first love, the love that is most important more than anything else in life, our love for the Lord and his church. I believe that most of our spiritual problems and struggles in life are right here. We've left that first love. Now, it could be neglect. It could be ne neglect of our prayer life. It could be neglect of coming to church. It could be neglect of listening when we are here. It could be carelessness. It could be something got in the way. It could be discouragement about church. You know, it's easy to do when we are in a time without a pastor, without a shepherd. We become discouraged in the, in the work. We become discouraged with people and different things. It could be discouragement with what goes on in life. It could even be some things that we call blessings in life, and they actually take us away from the Lord, away from our first love, and away from our commitment. And I want to tell you, those are not blessings. Blessings drive us to God. Blessings make us more appreciative of God, so much more that we want to do more for the Lord. But when the blessings, the so-called blessings, take us away from our commitment and away from our love, that's not a blessing of God. And we need to reevaluate how we feel about those things. You left your first love and commitment. And listen, you've fallen away. You've been driven off course. 
The fire dies down. The glow is gone. Other things demand our time and energy, and we leave our first priority. Now, friends, let me be honest with you this morning. Several months ago, I came to that point. The fire in my life for the Lord lost its glow, and the love had died down. I became very critical. And I got to the point that I just wanted to come and sit in my seat. Not really care about much else. It affected my prayer life. It affected my Bible study. Till finally one day, it affected all of life, I want to tell you. And finally my wife said to me one day, you cannot continue like this. And she was right. You see, I had to do some soul searching. I had to let God work in my life. The word, the challenge here is to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you were in love with Jesus, and now you've fallen away. You've been driven off course. The second challenge is to repent I want to tell you that repent is the forgotten word in church. We do church without this word. We do church without the requirement of repentance. Repentance is not a message that we want to hear. Repentance is not the one that gets pats on the pastor's back. It's not meant to be. It's the message from Jesus to the messenger and to the church. And repent means to turn around, turn back to what was, in this case, to the love that defined you, that drove you, that excited you, that thrilled you. Go back there and do them again. And friends, the way back to the power of God is through repentance. And that's what I had to do. And that's what we all have to do. And so we have the church in a world of darkness. And we have the challenge for the church in a world of darkness. And finally, we have the consequences of losing love in a world of darkness. Verse 5 again says, If you do not repent, I will come and remove your light. I will take away your lampstand. Unfortunately, the church at Ephesus did not listen to God, and their light went out. The church ceased to be. And in the city of Ephesus, with no light to give guidance, they became a pile of stones, just ruins. And it can happen in our lives as well. The fire of love is allowed to lose its glow. It becomes faint, and the love grows cold. And if we do not return, if we do not go back to the love for Jesus and his work, there will be consequences. Our children, our grandchildren will suffer spiritually. They will not see the need for church. They will not think that it's necessary to come and hear preaching or hear teaching or any of those things. And it may come and it may be just, well, I just want to go and play. I don't want to hear what the preacher has to say. I don't want to hear the songs of glory. 
I don't want to be drawn to the altar. I don't want to hear anyone talk about the importance of the altar and kneeling there and being broken before God. And you see, our children are going to suffer. Friends, let me give you a teaching. Every excuse that we make takes us farther away from God. And every generation moves a step farther away from God. That's an age-old understanding of sin visited to the third and fourth generation. You see, when one group moves this far, oh, it's okay, it's all right. The following generation begins right there, and they move farther. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. And on and on the Bible says that it's visited to the third and fourth generation. It goes on and on. Every generation moves farther away. But you know what the real consequence is? Others will not see the light of Jesus in a dark world. And darkness becomes the normal. Satan has moved in and destroyed power, and the result is a dark world. But wait, we do not have to face the consequences if we keep Jesus in our midst, if we return to him and make him the first priority, the love of our life. If you look at verse 7, it talks about overcoming. It talks about conquering. If we return to the first love, if we return to the love that defines us, to the Lord and His church, and make it again the priority of our lives, we can overcome the darkness of the world, the darkness that draws us away from our commitment, and we can have. Listen to this. If we return, we overcome, we conquer, we can have fruit in the eternal kingdom of God. That's what that last verse is really saying. We can be conquerors again. We can be the church that God wants us to be. And friends, we ought to get excited about love for Jesus. In this time that we are without a pastor, we will have a pastor one day. But I would rather be a pastor coming to a church that is ready to fly away than one that's buried in the dirt. Now, we're a good church. I want to tell you that. We're a praying church. We're a loving church. That doesn't mean that we don't have improvements to make. We need to let Jesus walk in our midst, be the center of all of our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the day that you've given to us and for the word that you have for us today. And I pray, Lord, today, if there are those here who have never given their life to Jesus Christ, who need to come on the biblical understanding of giving their life to Christ, make a total commitment to Jesus to follow him, to make him Lord and master of all of their life. 
would you encourage them to come this morning? Maybe there are those, Father, who, like myself, needed and need to repent, to turn around and turn back to the love of Jesus and his church. Maybe there are other things that we need to turn away from. Lord, maybe there are those who need to be a part of this fellowship called Scott Lake Baptist Church. Maybe there are those, Father, that you're calling today to come to the altar. Maybe in brokenness, maybe in joy, but to kneel, to praise and to pray, to understand that the altar is a friendly place and we come and we meet God here. And God, with open arms, welcomes us. I pray for the courage and boldness in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand this morning. Our invitation hymn is 307, Just As I Am. I remember through the years, Billy Graham, the only invitation that he ever lived, ever gave, just as I am. Meaning that you come just like you are and let God make the changes. But you come just where you are in life, and let God do the rest. It takes one step, followed by another step, and who knows, when you come, others may be emboldened to follow. I'll meet you here at the front. So good to be before you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Those who are watching online, we also thank them for tuning in as well. You are a blessing to me.
and I thank you for that. Brother Clive, I want you to come this morning, close us out in prayer, and pray for our offering as well. It's been a great day, a great day indeed. You know, this message reminds me of Psalm 118. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for what our ears have heard, what our eyes have seen, what our heart has comprehended today through the music of worship and through the preaching of your word. I pray that your people, with all of us, will be encouraged and challenged if we've been standing still or stepping back, that we will start moving forward in the name of Jesus Christ, who loves us so much. And now, oh Lord, we pray for the offering that we are about to pick up. I remember the words of St. Luke when he says, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. He said, for with the measure you meet, it shall be meet back unto you. Paul says, the Lord, he loves a cheerful giver. Thank you, O Father. Bless us as we go. Make us a blessing unto all that we cross paths with today. And we'll give you the thanks, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.